Let's pray together. I want to invite you with your heads bowed and your eyes closed to give praise and honor and glory to the King of Kings. To recognize that this holiday commemorates the announcement of this King. It caused so much trouble, so much angst, so much joy, and he still does. Jesus still causes all of those things to anyone who will stop and listen and try to figure out if he is who he says he is. And so I invite you, Christians, followers of Jesus, to praise him in your prayers right now. together we praise the new king Jesus we praise you God that it was your plan from all along from before time we praise you that you made it all come together as only you could every prophecy everything that pointed for all of time came down to Jesus Christ of Nazareth the virgin birth the calling out into Egypt, the visitation of the Magi, the star that was in the sky, your ultimate crucifixion and punishment and mockery at the hands of sinners, and even your glorious resurrection. It was all pointed to. It was all pointed out. It was all living here in our Bibles, and a few were paying attention. But in a lot of ways that we can understand, it started happening at the birth of Jesus Christ when God became a man and heaven's door was open to sinners, to prisoners, to the hungry, to poor, to the humble, to kings, to those who have great wealth. You opened it to everyone, Lord. You said, come and worship me, know me. And God, I pray that today would not just be a or the Christmas story, but that you'd be living and active and we would see this new king, his name is Jesus, and we would worship him. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Hey, please have a seat. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to church. If you walked in in the last couple minutes, we're already having a great time together. What I want to remind you, this great series that Andy and Colin put together for us for Christmas, my part in it today is to talk to you about the fact that there's a new king and his name is Jesus. This was announced at the nativity and the birth and the prophecies pointing towards those things. There's a new king, his name is Jesus, and I want to ask you today, will you worship him? We're going to cover the part of the scriptures that deal with the the wise men and King Herod finding out about Jesus and the the child Jesus and what it all meant and his consultations with his advisors. But I want to help you today to not just see the story, but to see the truth and the opportunity for obedience and worship that is right here in front of us in this part of the Christmas story. I want to help you see yourself in the Christmas story, but I really want to help you and I see Jesus as king in this part of the Christmas story. We don't live in a nation 
where we think of a king or a queen as our ruler. I don't know if you've noticed our politics has been in the news a little bit lately. So it's hard for us to sometimes understand what it is. And let me just try to spell it out. He's the king. He just deserves to be the ultimate authority and the ultimate benevolent ruler in our lives. This is who he is, and it's not a matter of whether you agree with that or not. It's a matter of it is, and Christmas is this opportunity for the whole world to be reminded of that, to hear about that, and to decide if they want to obey that, to decide if they do want to honor King Jesus. And so I want to help you see him as king today. Let's read the scripture from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And I'll have it up on the screen, or you can follow along however you'd like. I believe it's in your bulletin today, if you'd like to look at it right in front of you. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet. And then they quote one of the many, many, many ancient prophecies about the birth of Christ. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and he ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Oh, go and search diligently for this child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And just know that every reader of this close to the time of its writing, and anyone who has just a minor understanding of the Bible understands that Herod is not being genuine. Herod is trying to trick them to reveal the location of Jesus so that he can do harm to the family and and precisely to the baby Jesus. Verse 9, after listening to the king, the magi, the kings, went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts gold and frankincense and myrrh and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod they departed to their own country by another way now there's a new king Herod is finding out the hard way he is finding out his worst nightmare coming true there's a new king and it's not just some person who's been put in place for a time there's a new everlasting ever worthy Uh, uh, item, person of worship. His name is Jesus, and he's residing in this moment in the person of a small child. There's a new king. His name is Jesus. Will you worship him? I want to 
tell you what I mean by that, because I'm going to ask you a lot today, will you worship him? I want to ask you to commit more. I want to ask some of you today and over the next several days as we talk about it in our church to come back to Jesus. I want to ask some of you to take your faith more seriously, to consider some of the things that you might be doing that aren't honoring God. And instead of just going along in a world that doesn't really care about Christian purity or obedience anymore, drawing a line in the sand or in the snow, I hope, that says, says, no, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. He's going to be my Lord. I'm going to not open myself up to all the things that I have been. I'm going to seek him, and when I fall, I'm going to get back up and come to him. I'm going to ask a lot of you to come back to him, to get right with him. Maybe you'll need to repair a relationship in your family or uh, in a friendship, but a lot. I'm going to ask people today, and, and I hope tomorrow and the next day, to humble yourself. For the serious follower of Jesus in the room to kind of go, okay, yes, he's my friend. Yes, he is my salvation. He's closer than a brother. But to, through this idea of a new king to recognize he's my Lord. He's my master. He is my ruler. He's my king. Thank God he's a good and humble and forbearing one. But he is my king. There's a new king. His name is Jesus. Herod had a choice. The scribes and Pharisees had a choice. The wise men or the magi that saw the stars, saw the constellation, whatever they saw, we'll talk about that in a moment. They had a choice. There's a new king. His name is Jesus. And will you worship him? Does anybody want to worship him? Let me run down the characters in this story. And you guys might know more about this than me if you have the History Channel. But I do want to just uh, let some people in on some of these things. Herod. Herod was not a Jew by birth, but instead was what was known as a Judaized Edomite. And although he adopted the customs and the practices of the Jews, he was not considered Jewish in the purest sense of the word by the Pharisees of the time. Herod was also responsible for the construction of the great temple in Jerusalem. Now, you'll get confused when you read the Bible because there was this Herod and that Herod. Herod and Herod the Great and Herod this. This guy, the one we're talking about, is the one who, uh, who built the great temple, the temple which the Romans would later destroy in 70 AD. And it was this Herod who ordered uh, what has become known later as the massacre of the innocents when he had every ma- male child under the age of Jesus' age at that time, we believe to be two, he had every male child in Bethlehem killed. This is prophesied in the Old Testament as well. There's the wise men. I think we've all been to enough uh, church, you know, Christmas Eve services that we know there wasn't three, or we don't know that there was three. But um, because of the three famous gifts, we think there's three of them. But after Jesus was born, these wise men came to look for him, probably from an area which is neither, check this out, from Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia, or maybe Yemen, the river valley. Although they were often called the three kings, the Bible doesn't really say there was three of them. So you can impress your friends and neighbors if you've never heard that little nugget. You can interrupt anyone that's singing We Three Kings of Orient are. That's my Christmas gift to you. Think, no, actually, we don't know how many there were. And people will love you and they'll come to Jesus because who wouldn't want to be around that person? <sighs> Three is a guess because of the number of gifts, and no matter how many magi there was, this was a full-on caravan, convoy, road trip of renown. This was dozens and dozens, maybe into the hundreds of people. This was noticed. These guys did not travel light, 
and they were making a long, long journey. They probably had servants and things like that because of their status. So a lot about those guys. Let's keep moving. Chief priests and scribes, these are the religious lawgivers, the Pharisees um, that are more like the lawyers of the day, but not necessarily helpful personal lawyers, more of this religious, they were in this era of time where these scribes and Pharisees were on the wrong side of history when it came to Jesus, most of them with a few notable exceptions. Um, Mary was prophesied about in Isaiah 7.14. She's a poor girl in an insignificant town from a humble family with little expectations different than anyone else of her uh, time and age that her life was going to be any different, any more successful, any noteworthy. It wouldn't even occur to her to imagine or think or dream about those things. All over the scriptures, though, from that prophecy through many of her mentions in the New Testament, she's given a preeminence of place. And you'll notice that Joseph largely disappears from the story after the nativity and that moment when Jesus is 12 and he wanders off and reminds Joseph that God is his real father. This is probably not because Joseph was bad. There are some theories. Maybe he died early and things like this. But it's more likely that the writers of the Bible through the Holy Spirit wanted to make it crystal, crystal clear that the fatherhood of this Jesus was God the Father. They didn't want it to get confused, I would imagine, with the things that Joseph taught him or Joseph's important role in his life. And this is possibly why he drops out of the story so much. Mary is highlighted and made much of um, in so much of the, of the nativity story. Um, the star, I'm not going to get big time into this, but it's a real heavenly body and really happened. This is not a rewrite or an edit dropped in centuries later. The earliest manuscripts have this. There's some kind of astronomical event. Now, to say it was a star and followed the rules of a star, I think Probably not too many people in this room could make that argument, but it was a genuine heavenly body. And remember, they're writing from a different perspective than we are. They are trying to draw attention to a bright light in the sky that led them. There's an obscure reference to it in Numbers 24, 17 for just one of the examples, also all over the prophecies. Now, when we get to Jesus in this part of the story, it's interesting because this is where it does kind of break some of our conceptions about the nativity story and the thing that we have set up in our house. They were calling him the child at this point, Greek paidon, meaning he was likely a child or more like a toddler, not an infant at this point of the story. And a lot of the songs and a lot of the history and a lot of the things we decorate with and allude to in the Christmas cards try to put it all in one night because that's a blockbuster story. But it's really drawn out. But what's cool is when you learn these things, it doesn't make you go, oh, it's not true or that doesn't jibe. When you learn the reality behind it that Jesus was actually two, it actually starts, everything starts to make a lot more sense when you back up and see the age he was at at this point and what happens next. And especially the historically verifiable act of Herod to kill all the male firstborns of two and under. And you go, well, why did he do that? Because he was trying to cover his bases up into what age he believed Jesus was. So that's pretty amazing. So just kind of know that in the story, how it's, it's got some different twists and turns than our nativity scene tells us. The basic storyline of this that I'd like you to highlight today, although there's so much going on, is that Herod loses it. Herod loses it. 
a star arises over Bethlehem, fulfilling an ancient prophecy and setting all of Israel. Did you notice that? It's not just Herod, but the whole country is, wow, what is going on? The hubbub caused by the wise men's visit stirs up King Herod's insecurity and pride and megalomaniacal personality. Herod fears. The shepherds, the wise men, they're so excited and so energized by the birth of Jesus. But Herod is fearing for every little crumb of power and prestige and honor that he currently enjoys. And we can only try to understand that he must have believed it and known it to be true. And instead of falling on his face in worship, he falls on his fears and his insecurities and his puppet power and tries to do something to throw it off course so he can hang on to a few more years of power. The Magi worship and adore. Herod tries to deceive the Magi. They're not buying it. They go home the back way, eluding Herod. I mean, what a weasel. Can we get an amen for a weasel that this guy is? I mean, it's hard not to read it and your voice change. Oh, tell me where he is, my pretty. You know, like, so that I may go and I may also worship him because I am also a fearing, wonderful, wholesome, pure-hearted worshiper of this king. I mean, just what a putz of all putzes. What a lost and despicable person. With Jesus' love, of course. There's a new king. And it's interesting that the king king understands there's a new king. He's getting it. Now, I think this is cool at Christmas because sometimes I think us followers of Jesus might think like when Christmas or Easter rolls around, if we've not really dug into the foundations of our faith, we might feel like, oh, here comes a story, you know. I got to tell my Uncle Ray that I believe in a virgin birth, you know. I got to tell this person, yes, the tomb's empty or this kind of thing. There's so much historical, extra-biblical information that confirms these things. There's so much how it ties together a document that's written over thousands of years by multiple authors, all united by the leading of the Holy Spirit, comes down and burrows into Jesus. So it's fun to actually see, you know, you know what? No, there's a lot of facts that accompany our faith at Christmas. Ancient prophecy points to these events and people. These are not made-up stories. This is not mythology. This is not something that's been uh, embellished. These are real people, real places, real things that happened. All these characters are real and reliable historically. If you get outside of the Bible, the Bible is the greatest historical document ever written. It's only our pride and our stiff-neckedness towards its message of the lordship of Jesus Christ that makes us try to throw things at it and makes professors try to tear it down and makes people try to appear intelligent in, uh, try to appear intelligent in their attacks upon it. But it has been under more scrutiny than any document that's ever been written since the foundations of time, and yet it all comes together. It all fits together. I talk about this every year, so I kind of don't want to bore anybody that's soldiered through the Dave Long era of Southside Christian Church but there are so many prophecies that for one person to fulfill like eight of them is a one in 70, or one times 10 to the like 22nd power or something like that. And it goes on and on. And then you find out there's hundreds of prophecies in the Bible. Jesus fulfills them all. 
The extra biblical historical writings confirm these events and people. And as I just mentioned, it's one more example. There's like five or six things in this one little story that for one person to fulfill would be crazy. And can you even imagine? Jesus fulfills all of them and a several hundred more. Even that little obscure thing in the Old Testament says, my son I will call, you know, out of Egypt. Do you know that verse? Talking about the prophecy of the Messiah, the deliverer, the rescuer of Israel, I'll call him out of Egypt, and people will say, well, see, that's not Jesus. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And then you dig into the history and you dig into the Bible, and you actually learn that because of this slaughter that Herod was calling for, the family of Mary and Joseph and Jesus go to Egypt, they go hide, and then at the appropriate time, my son is called out of Egypt. I mean, just that. They didn't have Uber back then. They didn't have the ability to book a saver trip. At, you know, I mean, like to just even make that trip. But it's all in accordance with God. It's so fascinating. Those are just a few little Christmas nuggets. There's a new king. His name is Jesus. But you guys, will you worship him? Will you worship him? What does it mean for us if Jesus is king? I want to remind us what a king is. We didn't like the idea of having a king in our country. So we did something about it. We don't get to have a choice about whether we want to have a king over creation. What does it mean if Jesus is king? And just kind of let these sink in. And if you're far from God or you've never heard about the love that God has for you through Jesus Christ, I want you to hear there's a way back to him. What does it mean if Jesus is king? He has total authority over you. Guys, this is like your wife. He has, oh. You can't do the other joke though, can you? <laughs> okay. What does it mean he has total authority? This is the real reason so many reject, whether passively or purposefully, the gospel of Jesus. Is not the historical record, not the benefits that it would bring to life, but this fact. If I acknowledge he is who he says he is, he is my leader, my Lord, my King. He's my God. This is like unto the first one, but everything else the Bible then says, if Jesus is king, about life, lifestyle, death, afterlife, is true and relevant. Jesus is the center, and believe it or not, even the virgin birth in many ways is the center of this whole story. If we can tear this up or ignore it maybe we can get away from it but if it's true and if it's actual and if it's the culmination of all prophecy and all of God's plan for dealing with us is the person of Jesus Christ then I got to care about his word I've got to do the work to figure out how to understand it better I need to be in church I need to be around other people of faith I need to be serving and working and not that these things save you but when I recognize that God has saved me through the person of Jesus Christ his one and only son I now become his I'm his I'm his I'm his I'm his 
These are all very similar. What does it mean that Jesus is king? He must be worshiped. It does not become a multiple choice or an extra credit facet to my spiritual life. But if Jesus is king, almighty, omnipotent, he is the great potentate of all history, he has been given all things through the Father, then he must be worshiped. And you'll remember in our journey through Philippians chapter two, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I wonder if there's anyone here today that's not made that profession, that confession, that realization that Jesus is Lord, that he is God's one and only perfect son and he did die for my sins. It's important for the non-believer, for the make or fake believer, and it's so important for the believer to recognize that Jesus is one who is to be worshiped. Can I get an amen? We're all imperfect at it. It's not just singing or praying. It's our whole lives. He is, though, to be worshiped, to be adored. And then I think learn from Herod's hideous example. You can deny Jesus. You can neglect what you know about Jesus. We can even try to squash the truth about Jesus but it doesn't change the reality about Jesus. He's still the king. Christmas tells us there's a new king, a new ruler, a new person to be answered to, a new setter of agendas, a new God and Lord and master in our lives. Something that's good to remember for all of us is we can't get out of what God is asking of us by simply ignoring it. Amen, if you've ever tried that strategy. Our dog, who has brought such richness and wonder into our home, he's a cutie, but he does some real dumb things sometimes, usually related to food. Guy loves food. But our dog, when he's done something wrong, it's really funny, he won't make eye contact. He just wants me and my lordship <laughs> to just go away. And I don't know, somebody in here would know the answer, how long dogs can remember, you know, that they knocked over a swing set going after a taco someone dropped while your children are in it, those sort of things. But when he knows he's done something really bad or destructive, he thinks, if I ignore Dave... He therefore does not exist. And I get to not be put outside in the cold or reprimanded in front of the other pets whose opinion of me I value greatly. He just knows. And I think a lot of people spiritually, some of you in this room, much of the world treats God that way. If I don't think about him, if I can power through this talk right now and not apply it to my life and make it to the end of the service, then if I don't think about him, maybe he won't think about me. 
If I don't think about the truth that sin has to be paid for, then maybe it won't have to be. Maybe I can be the unique person that escapes God, God's wrath because I wasn't too worked up about it. Or, or maybe I don't have to have just that simple consequence for disobeying his word in terms of sexual purity, in terms of my finances, in terms of my hatred or my lack of forgiveness in my life or my apathy towards what's supposed to be an all-consuming fire in my faith. Maybe if I just ignore it, it'll go away. It works sometimes with my dog, Buddy, because I'm a lazy dog owner. But that's not how it works with God. He's the king no matter what. If we try to ignore him, he's always thinking about us. If we try to, you know, uh, wag our finger at him, or if we try to consciously or even passively just kind of put him off, he's always conscious of us. There's a new king. His name is Jesus. What he deserves What he exists for is your worship and your adoration. Everybody else on the earth wants you to kind of give it to them in little pockets and little packets, but he's the one that truly deserves it. He's the one your soul is craving for. He's the one that makes everything right in your life. Amen, if you understand what I'm talking about. You guys are awesome. You're doing great. You're nice. You do a good job at work. Many of you are generous and courageous and sacrificial. But are you giving all of the glory and honor to God in that? Do people think, oh, you're a great guy? Do they understand you're a great guy because you serve a great God? Have you put yourself in a place where when that crisis comes, when that person needs those thoughts and prayers, they know where to get real ones? There's a new king. His name is Jesus. Will you worship him for his glory? What a pressured and burdensome time that you and I live in because we might be the only reference to Jesus that someone gets in their day-to-day life. That makes me feel a little like, But it used to be we could lean on others. There'd be a lot more people around. Maybe they'll get to them because they drive me nuts. But you might be in a school, work, city, living, family environment where if they're going to see Jesus and the love and grace and mercy and kindness and seriousness and reverence of God, they're going to see it through you. And so I say, God, that makes me kind of freak out, but help me because the other option is not good. I want to give you some application in light of the kingship of Jesus. If he's truly still the king... I think there'd be regular confession of sin in my life. I love James chapter 4, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. And it gives us kind of a prescription for how to confess our sins. Mourn and weep over your sins. Let your laughter, so we don't celebrate how I used to sin or how I used to live. Let my laughter be turned into mourning. Let my joy over my sinfulness turn to gloom. Humble myself before the Lord and then he will exalt you. Then the rivers of life, then the joy unceasing, then the light of the world coming through you. Regular confession of sin first. Live gracefully toward others. Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And so our lordship is not lording over others, but recognizing I'm a sinner and I must extend grace to others. I hope today you take stock of where you're at with God. Every Christmas I kind of go, man, I don't want to miss it this year. I don't want to wake up on the 25th or the 26th and be like, it was about presence, it was about busyness, it was about this and that and the other thing. 
And so this is a great week through now, through the new year. Take stock of where you're at. Deuteronomy 6 says, Fear the Lord your God by keeping all his commandments all the days of your life. Hear, therefore, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you. And then I want to give you a bonus Christmas time challenge for just this week to hold on to a challenge that is from God's word. Let's, church, live like Jesus is the king this week. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be amazing? In every little gathering, in every circle around the tree, or every trip or dinner or whatever, to the best of your ability, to live like he is the king, that it's his opinion that matters. It's, it's, does, is he proud of you that matters? Is he getting the attention? What gift did I bring to him this week? Let's pray. There is a new king, and his name is Jesus. And I do want to encourage you this week to worship him and to live like he is the king. God, we stop. And I, I guess, Lord, I'd like to pray for if there's anybody that we're, we're going to be so blessed tomorrow and the 24th. This church, as we come, we're going to love this service. We're going to enjoy what we learn and what we hear and what we experience. That's already done. But is there anyone that we could bring that doesn't know this story? And is there any way that we could bring grace and mercy and peace and love and truth into all of our gatherings that we will individually and as a family of families go out into this week as well? Lord, we praise you, Jesus. You are the king. We remember in this prayer you are king of all. You are Lord of all. You will not give your glory to someone else. You are everything. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus. Our Christmas carols, our Christmas hymns and praise songs, our giving of gifts is a reflection of the gifts the Magi brought and the ultimate gift of the person of Jesus Christ to a dying and destructive race. We needed a new beginning through the grace of Jesus on the cross. Thank you that you come in quietly and humbly through the story of the birth of Christ. But thank you for the truth and the conflict and the imagery of the cross and the resurrection that truly shows us where the new life in God is. We love you and we praise you and may you be worshiped and adored and blessed all over our great nation this week. But springing from here today, it's in your name we pray.